this mini-lecture will be about gender bias. I'm going to start off by talking about the early treatment of babies. We make a big difference in how we treat newborn boy babies and newborn girl babies. All right, early treatment of babies, sex differences. One of the earliest things we know about babies is, is a boy or a girl. It used to be that when the child was born, the first question asked by everybody was, is it a boy or a girl? Now, in many cases, we know that uh, before birth, uh, through ultrasound, and uh, expectant parents will say things like, um, we don't want to know the sex, we're going to wait, or they will uh, find out the sex, and they'll tell everybody, and they'll have uh, names selected and all of that. Very basic, important issue, question about human beings, boy, girl, okay? Now I'm going to talk about boys first. Adults do more active play and movement with boy babies. And I'm talking about some difference here, differences here that are very easy to verify. You can videotape adults, including parents and other caregivers, interacting with boy babies versus girl babies. And then you can look at, look at the videotapes, analyze them. You can count this, that, and the other. And you will find very distinct differences in how we relate to boy babies, girl babies. Uh, more active play and movement with boy babies, a lot of bouncing around, uh, uh, knee games, you know, bouncing knee games. They also allow and encourage more active play and movement from boy babies. Uh, with adults, uh, adults with boy babies have less verbal interaction with them but louder. They talk to them more loudly, but they talk to them less. So less verbal interaction but louder with boy babies. Uh, they allow boy babies more freedom to move. For example, you can look at uh, parents with uh, boy versus girl babies. The baby starts crawling away, maybe crawls um, so far away and around a corner. How far will the adult let the baby get? Uh, how far and how long out of sight before the adult either calls the baby back or goes looking for the baby to, to retrieve it? So boys are allowed a lot more freedom to move, move around, get farther distance. Um, more tolerance of activity and noise. Adults, and this is not just in uh, infancy, throughout childhood and maybe even into adulthood, we are much more tolerant of activity, movement, and noise from male creatures than from female creatures. So a uh, lot more tolerance of activity and noise. Less response to needs crying and distress. The boy baby uh, falls down and bangs his knee. Adults are much more likely to pick him up and say, oh, you want to hurt? Uh, brush it off and, you know, brush his knee and, and tell him he's okay and hush the crying. If he's in his crib crying, adults are less likely to go pick him up. Uh, they will wait longer. Uh, they will not be quite as concerned to figure out why he's crying and, and, and solve his crying problem. So less response to the boy baby's needs, crying, and distress. Uh, the picture you're getting here is our cultural norms say boy babies are supposed to be tough. 
girls. More verbal interaction with girls and softer. Adults talk more to girls. Uh, they coo at them more. They say more and longer things to them. So girl babies get talked to a lot more and in a softer voice. Uh, much more response to girl babies crying in distress. Again, the little, little girl baby is crying in the crib. The adults will go respond to her crying, pick her up, comfort her quicker, uh, pay a lot more attention to solving her problems. Same thing when the girl toddler falls down and scrapes her knee. Uh, much more willing, uh, much more responsive, go to her, pick her up, comfort her, wipe her tears. Um, much less likely to tell her she's okay, brush it off. All right? Less distance in movement. Adults tend to keep girl babies closer to them and allow them to get uh, less far away, uh, allow them to, run, uh, to move around less. Uh, pick them up more, hold them longer, rock and cuddle them more. Girl babies get a lot more physical interaction, comforting, rocking, cuddling than boy babies do. All right, now, let's take a look at teachers. Kids a little older, preschool, school, teachers interact with boys versus girls uh, differently. And again, these are things you can verify. You go in the classroom, you film, you analyze the films, you see what teachers do in reaction to or initiating interaction with boys versus girls, and you find some differences. All right. Teachers select boys more often for leadership activities, such as uh, small group leaders in charge of important tasks, um, line leader, door holder, whatever. Um, girls are more likely to be ex uh, selected for housekeeping type tasks. And by the way, teachers will tell you they don't do this, uh, do these kinds of discriminatory things, but they do. We all do, okay? Uh, girls are more likely to be put in charge of uh, cleaning the board or whatever. Teachers tend to interact more with boys in every way, positively, negatively, and neutrally. Teachers tend to have more interactions, more contact of all types with boys than with girls. The picture you're getting here, or should be getting, is that girls, to some extent, get ignored, especially girls who don't act out in any way and who aren't uh, demanding of attention. So teachers interact more with boys. Teachers give more boys more criticism and discipline, but also more praise and attention. Now, the criticism and discipline may seem bad to you, like not a good thing, but criticism and discipline combined with praise and attention means boys are getting more signals about their behavior. Not this, but this. Don't do this, do this. So a lot more interaction of all types with boys. High-achieving boys received a tremendous amount of praise and attention. And what we find is a very significant difference between high-achieving boys and boys who are sort of average or below-average achieving. 
high-achieving boys receive by far the most praise and the most attention of any type of student. Teachers perceive boys to be more troublesome. And by the way, they probably are. If you go back to the early treatment of boys, uh, much more encouragement of movement, activity, noise, general rambunctiousness, boys in the school setting genuinely are more troublesome, louder, noisier, more likely to move around by watching uh, physical interaction with each other. Okay, so teachers perceive boys to be more troublesome. As a result of that, boys get more interaction from teachers, more negative interaction. Discipline, reprimands, interaction, punishment, you name it. Teachers get a lot, uh, boys get a lot more negative interaction from teachers. Now, some boys are damaged by all of this negative interaction, and some boys are pushed out of the system. Uh, you can describe them. They tend to be lower socioeconomic status, uh, destitute, working poor, uh, blue collar, lower middle class. They tend to fall in that category. They tend to be damaged by all that negative interaction. They become very hostile about school, uh, shut down, don't perform, don't behave, you name it, and they tend to be pushed out. They're the ones who become the dropouts. They're the ones who, even if they make it through high school, that's it. They don't go any farther. Uh, they're the ones who also wind up in the juvenile justice system. Uh, and by the way, schools are not the only uh, factors in this. Uh, the home, the community, the street have a lot, of, lot to do with this. So I'm not blaming teachers for this either. But in terms of school, feeling about school, interaction with schools, these boys get pushed out. The boys who survive in the school system, make it all the way through, seem to benefit from all that strong contact with teachers, positive, negative, neutral, and they maybe even benefit from the conflict and the negativity, negativity especially. Um, I'm kind of stepping out on a, a limb here, but it may be that the boys who survive our school systems and who do well in school systems and who survive other social systems and even do well benefit from the negativity because it makes them more resilient. And that's a very important word. It may make them tougher. Uh, again, if you look at how we traditionally raise girls, uh, a big effort to protect them from stress, from wear and tear, from negative uh, situations, uh, keep them closer to the home, to the adults, keep them uh, quieter, calmer. You can see that in many cases we don't raise our girl children to be resilient and to have a certain amount of, of toughness. So they get out of the home, start building their, you know, start working towards independence. Our girls can actually wind up uh, being seriously damaged in that transition from child to adult because they don't have a certain amount of toughness. 
the world beats on them and they don't know what to do. Now, I don't want to exaggerate that too much because some things are changing and we'll, in, in this area, and I'll talk about that a little later. Teachers initiate more contacts with boys, and boys initiate more contacts with teachers. That is, teachers reach out for all sorts of reasons and initiate contacts with boys. And it may not be nothing more than the kid walks by in the hall and you say hi to him, or it may be um, an academic interaction, it may be a behavioral interaction. I noticed that you haven't brought your homework for two days. Uh, now you remember what my policy is and you know this is going to hurt you. Any kind of interaction, teachers are much more likely to initiate with boys and girls and vice versa. Teachers are more likely to give girls feedback on social compliance, to praise them or not praise them on things like quiet, neat, orderliness, helpful, being good girls. And again, I'm not just blaming girls. We, adults, tend to steer our girl children towards being good girls. And uh, many of the women who are in my classes, if, we, if I talk to them, we will discover that we were good girls when we were in uh, P-12 schools, okay? Uh, and teachers and parents tend to reinforce that concept with many of our girls. By the way, a girl student who is deviant, who acts out, who misbehaves in a manner similar to boys will experience a very strong, very harsh squashing, uh, much stronger squashing than the boy with the equivalent behaviors would be. Teachers tend to give boys more cognitive feedback, positive and negative. Boys get more feedback around things like correctness, quality, and creativity of their performance. In other words, they're getting more meaningful, more substantive feedback. This homework you did is not right. Let me show you how to do it right. The girl is more likely to get the feedback, gosh, your handwriting here is very nice, and not the cognitive feedback on whether or not she did the homework right. Teachers tend to ask boys higher level and harder questions. Again, you're getting back to uh, being more demanding of boys. Uh, expecting more of them, asking them tough questions, not being so reluctant to let them uh, try the harder answer. Teachers tend to accept wrong or poor answers more often from boys. If you have not really watched this phenomenon in a classroom, it may amaze you the first time you see it. It is fairly common for teachers to receive a wrong answer and accept it. Say yes and keep on going. It's not the right answer. Uh, some of that comes from not paying attention. You're distracted. Some of it comes from probably our innate uh, resistance to telling people wrong and uh, maybe not knowing that there are some mm, not too harmful or hurtful ways to say, eh, that's not quite right. No, let, you know, let's do this. Um, again, teachers tend to accept wrong or poor answers more often from boys, tend to encourage boys to work harder and try harder. 
to some extent, there is the assumption that girls will work hard and try harder automatically. And it's the boys who've got to have the encouragement. Respond more frequently to boys' requests for help. You, it's amazing. If two hands, let's say the students are working on independent seat work, and two hands go up at exactly the same time making a bid for the teacher's help, a boy and a girl. Amazingly, almost always the teacher will go for the boy. And when I ask my experienced teachers, why do you do this? Why do we do this? What they always tell me is they make the assumption that the girl will sit there quietly until they get around to helping her. But the boy is going to get off task and misbehave, so they go to him first. Well, you can figure out that that is going to send a pretty clear message to boys. You want attention? You get it instantly. And the reason you get it instantly is that if you don't get instant attention, you misbehave. So teachers respond to boys faster. The assumption is that if you don't give them the attention, the response quickly, they will get off task, they will misbehave. And by the way, that's probably true. Girls. High-achieving, high-confidence girls tend to avoid teacher contact, particularly after the elementary grades. Now, I believe that this is still true, but we are in some kind of uh, change regarding the academic success and career of boys versus girls, men versus women. Something is changing, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. I don't think anybody is. But there is currently some kind of change in school success and outcomes for girls versus boys. For example, what we are seeing is increased attrition of males in the school systems relative to girls. Uh, we are seeing widening gap between girls who complete, females, women, and, girls and women, who complete various levels of education. What you're finding is that in many schools, the graduation rate for girls versus boys has developed a wider gap. What you're finding, particularly at the post-secondary level, is that the uh, percentage of young women who go on to complete their, to, you know, enroll in college versus men has changed radically. The percentage of young women going to college has gone up, men down. Uh, then if you tr track their career, you're finding that women are having, women students are having a much higher persistence rate, much higher academic success rate, and they are graduating from college at a much higher rate than men. You're also finding that uh, for non-traditional students, adults who come back to college, uh, predominantly women, and uh, of course the women students stay with it longer and they persist and more likely to graduate. So what we have is some kind of social shift, not sure what all the factors are, and we have the potential right now, if this continues, of having 
a much better educated population of women than of men. Um, again, not sure why. Some of it has to do with the fact that uh, young men are more employable right out of high school than young women in, in decent jobs. Now, what's a decent job when you're 18 is not a decent job when you're uh, 35. When you're 18, um, a job that will pay for an apartment, a car, and Saturday night out looks like a pretty good deal. Ten years later, 15 years later, when you're uh, married or even worse, d divorced, and you have children and a mortgage and a dead-end job, what was a good job when you were 18 is now a big problem. So when men go directly into the workforce, um, they may do better for a while. They may feel, you know, pretty safe, but 10, 15 years, they're going to have real big problems. Um, all kinds of issues. Now, this is still true. High-achieving, high-confidence girls tend to avoid teacher contact, particularly after the elementary grades. When I teach a traditional class of, let's say, 30 students, um, I will invariably uh, get to the first assignments and then to the midterm and discover that some of my best women students, not all, but some of them, are the quietest. Some of the people speaking out which will be disproportionately men. There will be some women who speak out in class, but a disproportionate number of men, too. They, they will not necessarily be my best students. Some of my best women students will be very, very quiet. What those students did in high school is they learned to avoid in-class participation. Some of the social norms against high-achieving, uh, academically high-achieving women are changing, and we're starting to see more high-achieving women. Uh, high school graduation, college graduation, master's degree, doctorate, you're seeing more and more women go through. However, uh, there is still the social stigma for academically high-achieving girls. Uh, it's very strong in the late elementary, middle school, high school years. So a lot of these high-achieving girls go undercover. They continue to perform academically at a high level, but they do it on paper. They do it through their assignments and tests. They don't participate in class. They avoid participation in class. They avoid teacher contact. Um, if they do need to ask the teacher something, they'll do it outside of class. And again, I have uh, many of my high-achieving women students will do the same thing to me. They won't ask me a question in class. They'll ask it before class, after class, come to my office, send me an email, whatever. So uh, still a pressure for high-achieving girls to hide their achievement. Um, Girls gradually shift their self-initiated contacts with teachers to private contacts, as I just described. And somewhere about fifth or sixth grade, girls' self-esteem and self-confidence begin dropping. 
uh, it's a wonder teenage girls survive. Their self-esteem gets so low, it continues to drop, and it reaches very low levels during adolescence. The level comes back up, but tends to be lower throughout adulthood than for men. Again, we may be seeing some change in this. Uh, academically capable women are going on to college. Uh, they are seeing themselves as much more capable uh, academically. But the problem of self-esteem for young women and adult women is still there. Uh, again, if you give uh, any kind of instrument measuring self-esteem or you do any kind of um, interview, you will find that, again, beginning somewhere in late elementary school, girls' self-esteem goes way down. Boys have some problems. I mean, adolescent boys worry, and they think they're awful and they're terrible and they look ugly and all of this. But the girls generally overall, much stronger drop, much deeper drop. Uh, as I said, it's a wonder adolescent girls survive. They think they're so horrible. And, you know, I discuss with my students, what do adolescent girls think? They're ugly. They're stupid. Stupid, uh, as related to academic content. Uh, stupid, ugly, uh, fat. I mean, they'll weigh 96 pounds, no hips, no breasts, and they'll tell you they're fat. Okay? Uh, fat, you name it, on and on and on and on. Uh, the self-esteem comes back up with maturity, uh, competence, but it's still always lifelong is lower on average than for men. Okay, so we've got uh, some self-esteem problems. Girls tend to attribute failure to stable internal causes such as their ability or intelligence. We discussed that in an earlier lecture and a little bell should be going off. That is a relatively more internalized locus of control. Um, if if I fail, it must be something wrong with me. And if you think it's because I'm stupid, well, if I'm stupid, that's sort of a stable trait. There's nothing I can do about it. Boys tend to attribute failure to unstable causes, either internal, such as I didn't try hard enough, or external causes such as illness. I was, I, you know, I was kind of feeling bad that day. Well, if you attribute your failure to unstable causes, well, those can be changed, all right? Uh, effort. I can just study harder for the next test. Uh, next test, I'll do better because I just won't be sick, all right? A lot more uh, outgoing, a lot more in charge of your life. I can affect it. All right. Now, here's, I'm going to be talking about what parents need to do. First of all, parents need to not fight stereotypical sex role behaviors. It is impossible for children to avoid them. Now, I'll take a little detour here and discuss in detail the words stereotypical sex role behavior. What I mean by that are the stereotypical sex roles, behaviors that our culture has put on us because we are identified at birth as male or female. An example, the idea in our culture 
that men don't wear skirts. And I always ask my students, when is it okay for a man to wear a skirt? And they say, oh, it's never, it's never acceptable. Well, yeah, it is. Men in our culture don't wear skirts. And we can talk about what that is, a piece of cloth that hangs down straight and it's open at the bottom, except uh, if they're priests, a cassock. Uh, in some sort of function where you wear a robe, like an academic robe for graduation, uh, you're in a choir and you wear a robe, okay? If it's part of your native costume, uh, my late husband was a Scot, he could wear a kilt. Uh, if you are uh, from the Middle East, you can wear uh, a garment that has that, that straight open skirt. If you're from Polynesia, you could probably walk around in, in that piece of cloth, whatever they call that, that is wrapped around. Um, again, uh, there are some other exceptions. If you are male, American, and you are participating in certain kinds of socially acceptable cross-dressing, such as if you're starring in a movie where part of the humor uh, is from men dressed as or disguised as a woman. Tootsie, an old film. Uh, some like it hot, a, a very uh, very top quality old film in which two men hid. Uh, they were in some kind of trouble, I can't remember, and they hid by disguising themselves as women. Um, uh, there's, in some small towns, you still have an old kind of thing called um, a Tom Thumb wedding where men in some sort of service organization dress up as women and they do this, this uh, little play and usually charge money for charity or something. All right? Uh, it is also becoming more and more acceptable, uh, regardless of what you think of it, to define yourself as a cross-dressing man and go into kind of a separate role over there in that culture, but if you want to be in this culture, basically you don't do that as a man unless you want a whole lot of trouble in your life. Okay, don't fight the stereotypical sex role behaviors. Now what I am not talking about is sexual orientation or sexual preference. Are you uh, heterosexual, homosexual, are you, uh, are you a cross-dresser? Are you a transsexual or whatever? I'm not talking about that, and I'm saying very specifically that I'm not talking about that because I have found uh, once or twice that I had students misunderstand me. The behaviors I'm talking about are sort of exterior behaviors, personality kind of behaviors. It's okay for a man to be a little bit aggressive and a woman's not. Uh, a man in our culture is not supposed to walk like this. Well, in other cultures, it's okay for a man to walk like this. Man who walks like this comes here, he is going to get some uh, social stigma and some problems. Again, stereotypical sexual behaviors, they're not innate, they have nothing to do with sexual preference. And they're really often very subtle and they're often really very illogical. Uh, for example, I often ask students, uh, would you put uh, blue booties on a baby girl? Some will say no, but some will say yeah, why not? 
I say, will you put pink booties on a baby boy? No. Okay, why not? What's the difference? And we get into all sorts of cultural attitudes about boy behavior versus girl behavior. All right? Don't fight stereotypical sexual models. It's impossible for children to avoid them. The whole society around them gives them those behaviors and will penalize them if they don't conform. Okay? Seek to enlarge the child's repertoire of behaviors while staying within the general social norms for his or her sex. One of my all-time favorite cartoons showed uh, two kind of, um, speaking of stereotypes, kind of hippy-dippy, flaky-type couples sitting around talking to each other. And the first couple says to the second one, we have raised little moonbeam in a completely unisex environment, and we have made sure she has only had unisex toys. The next panel shows little moonbeam lying on her uh, stomach on the floor. She's holding up a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. And she's saying, Ken, this is Barbie. Barbie, this is Ken. Okay? Now, whether you think that's funny or not, what you need to do is recognize the socially established sexual behaviors. Give the little girl a doll. Give her multiple dolls. If she wants a Barbie, give her a Barbie. Try to enlarge her repertoire of sexual behaviors and the same thing for the little boy. And I'll talk more about how to do that. For boys, encourage nurturing behavior, behaviors and verbal skills in boys. The uh, difference that we often uh, observe in verbal skills for boys in this country are nothing genetic. They are culturally determined. There is no reason not to spend lots and lots of time with little boys, uh, toddler boys, infant boys, talking to them, encouraging them to talk, developing their language skills. Also, it's good to encourage nurturing behaviors in little boys. Talk to boys, uh, young boys and boy babies a lot. Read them stories, building those uh, verbal skills. Read stories that encourage nurturing or talk about nurturing. Uh, don't just stick young boys with action rock, action rock'em sock'em sports kind of stories. Read them stories that, that, that have some themes about nurturing uh, interpersonal, react, interpersonal, interpersonal relationships that are warm, uh, feelings, that sort of thing. Help them compose stories and songs. Help them do language play, little, uh, little stories and, and uh, verbal interactions. Let Young boys play with stuffed animals and soft dolls. Back to the stereotypical uh, sexual behaviors. If you give a little boy a doll baby, he's going to have trouble. Sometimes little boys will latch on to a sibling's uh, baby doll. Um, dads get real upset particularly about this. If he goes to preschool, if he's a 
particularly if he's about four years old or older, if he's playing with baby dolls, he's going to catch some flack. What you do about that as a parent is up to you. But what I suggest is steering the young child towards socially acceptable forms of dolls, such as stuffed animals and soft dolls, where he can, particularly as an infant and as a, a toddler, um, express a lot of nur nurturing and affection and warmth. Um, what you're going to find is that he gets a little older, he's probably going to want boy dolls, which are um, commonly called something other than dolls like action figures. Uh, again, if you can steer, and, he, and he's going to bash, you know, this one with that one and shoot this one and that one. But if, also if you can steer him towards action figures that are more action-oriented and less uh, kill-oriented. If you can do that, uh, do it. Encourage older boys nurturing with small animals and younger children. Again, socially acceptable ways for older boys to express, express nurturing. Um, animals, pets, and you know, if a parent doesn't want a pet, if it doesn't feel the li uh, feel the fit in the life of the family, that's okay. But if possible, the the cat, the dog, really help kids have something to nurture, and that will give them nurturing back. Uh, if not, the smaller pet, the um, uh, the gerbil, the hamster. Uh, I believe that there's a special corner of heaven reserved for all the hamsters that have been murdered by children. But, you know, you sacrifice the life of the poor little creature, but it can help your child learn uh, some special lessons about nurturing, care, and the consequences of not nurturing and caring for something. Uh, at the minimum, uh, the aquarium with fish in it, a few fish in it, something to give the child uh, something alive other than himself to love, to take care of, and if at all possible, to return some of that affection. Um, younger children within families with multiple siblings, child care and nurturing activities tend to be delegated to the girls much more than the boys. It's very important to give responsibility for younger siblings, other relatives, children in the neighborhood and babysitting as, as something either expected within the family as part of being part of this family and getting your allowance or as part of uh, a way you can earn money for, for the older child to encourage boys to engage in that as much as girls. Spend extra time teaching boys to read, write, and speak don't know if there's any sort of genetic difference, but we do know that there's a cultural environmental difference in uh, the extent to which uh, males learn to read, write, and speak well compared to uh, females. In other areas of the world, there really isn't that much difference between men and women. Don't know if it's really cultural because uh, how we set up our schools and our cultural norms, but it seems reasonable to spend more time teaching boys to read, write, and speak and not accept 
any kind of developmental lag in that area just because the child is a boy. For boys, uh, encourage older boys nurturing with small lines. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going backwards instead of forward. All right, here we go. Teach adults, including males, how to interact with children. Um, there are a lot of men, adult men, sons and fathers, brothers, who greet each other like this. All right. The only way they know to interact with each other is uh, swapping licks. They'll see each other and they'll just start um, hitting each other. Teach males other ways to interact with children. Uh, again, you'll find many people, and it's more common with men than with women, the only way they know to interact act with a, a young child is to poke him in the tummy, punch him, take his toy and play keep away, and the kid gets real frustrated, uh, or to play really active, aggressive, wrestling kinds of activities. Teach adults, including men, how to interact with kids verbally and within, with softer, gentler kinds of uh, greetings and play. Expose boys to male role models who engage in activities other than rough and tumble. And I'm not saying don't encourage the boy to participate in sports or orient towards sports or have sports athletic role models. What I'm saying is try to give the boy a wider range of role models than just uh, those real narrow macho stereotypes. Now for girls. Encourage independence and math science skills for girls. Um, there will be lots of stereotypes in, the, in their lives. Try to counteract those experiences. Expect girls to learn maths and science and expect them to do well in it. Uh, give them activities and exposure to uh, experiences that encourage them to think in that way. Let girls play with sand, dirt, mud, rocks, and bugs. Everybody has seen the mother who keeps the infant girl so clean, so girly, girly dressed, so frilly, that the little girl never has time, an opportunity to actually get down in the mud and dig and, you know, get sand in her hair, play with rocks and squash bugs and, and all those sorts of, of childhood delights. Let little girls get rough, let them get rowdy, let them get dirty. Encourage girls' interest in the outdoors and physical world. Early on, take the little girl hiking just like a little boy. Take the little girl fishing, camping. Encourage her interest in the out, outdoors, physical world, uh, science kinds of issues. Teach adults, including females, how to interact with children. Now, this is the opposite. Again, there are many of us who greet the little girl, uh, our friend's little girl, by telling her how pretty she is and asking her question about her dolls or whatever. Instead of greeting the child, uh, first of all, just greeting her, hello, how are you? 
and striking up the conversation about school, how she's doing in school, how is she doing in math, what's her favorite subject, careers, whatever. In other words, talking to a little girl in a non-stereotypical way or interacting with her. And again, taking her hiking instead of let's, you know, let's sit down and play with dolls. Uh, so interact with little girls and get little girls early on engaged in some rough and tumble. Expose girls to female role models who are active and independent. Now there has been some cultural improvement on this. You're likely to find more programs that support uh, little girls in ideas such as you should do well in math, uh, whatever. There is still a gap though. Again, if you get at the college level and look at majors, uh, where people major, men and women, and career goals, uh, there is still a tendency for women to gravitate towards traditional women careers, teaching, nursing, whatever, and men to gravitate towards traditional male careers, technology, engineering, whatever. You're finding some improvement. Um, in my judgment, probably not as much improvement as you would uh, hope for or think at this point in our evolution of uh, feminism uh, and equal treatment for women. Sort of don't know. Um, continue to expose girls to female role models who are active and independent, who go beyond the traditional uh, stereotypical sex roles. Now teachers need to do some things differently. Encourage all students to become independent learners. Be real careful not to discriminate between your female students and your male students. They all need to become independent learners. Talk about sex role stereotyping and gender bias. Make it, and it doesn't have to be all the time. I don't mean make this a, a the dominant theme in your classroom, but when appropriate, talk about sexual stereotyping and gender bias. In an earlier lecture, I mentioned um, talking to students about their perceptions of when they are treated differently or given different expectations or consequences because they are a boy or a girl. Uh, bring some of those discrepancies and discriminatory practices to light in your classroom, discuss them and make an effort uh, to have as a rule that you will not be treated differently by the teacher, by other students, because you're a boy versus a girl. Make sure all students know that all subjects are important for their future. Uh, and this should be a, a steady theme throughout our P-12 educational system. Everybody needs to know math. Everybody needs to know science. Everybody needs to know reading, writing, speaking. All of those skills are important. Uh, one thing about just incidental career education in P-12 schools is to do some communication that what we think about careers may actually not be the reality of what the person does on the job or not the complete reality. Um, if you are an engineer, what do you spend your day doing? What, how much do you have to write? 
how much do you have to read, uh, how important are speaking skills to you. It's not zero. So again, communicating a broader picture of career needs, life, career, uh, life needs, career needs to students. Teachers need to use non-biased instructional materials. You can't always find them, but what's available is much better than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Whenever possible, use non-biased instructional materials. Encourage boys to read and spend extra time helping them to learn to read. Again, the elementary teacher in particular, but can be later grades, don't just assume that boys don't read well. Spend time helping them learn to read well. Be aware of who is assuming leadership roles in the classroom. And some students will make a stronger bid for those roles. Don't just necessarily give those roles to the kids who want them, go after them, volunteer for them. Set up opportunities for leadership. Make assignments. Put girls out front, spread leadership around. And in many cases, you may need to teach leadership skills. Uh, the reluctant student, the shy student, uh, may need some coaching and some teaching. Here's what the group leader is supposed to do. Let's practice that. Here's what the group secretary is supposed to do. And we make sure that plenty of times the group leader is uh, female and the secretary, if, if you just can't stand that term, it, recorder is a boy. And teach those skills. What does a good follower do? What does a good group participant do? What does a good group recorder do? What does a good group leader do? Watch praise and feedback. Make sure girls get a lot of praise and a lot of cognitive feedback for real, substantive, important accomplishments. Draw out those high-achieving girls and involve them. All right, at that point, we have finished our lecture on uh, gender bias. Um, take care, and I'll see you next time.